Good afternoon and welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Yaakov Yaga. For those of you who are used to see Peter opening the, uh, these sessions, uh, I, I have to apologize for taking over. The reason for me taking over is that uh, um, the format of our seminar today would be slightly different. Our guest today, it's a real delight and pleasure to actually welcome uh, 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 Yuval Ivy for the second time to Oxford's uh, Israel Studies uh, uh, Universe. Um, Dr. Yuval Ivry, who is uh, currently at the Leverium uh, Early Career Fellow at King's College, uh, who, and deals in his research on uh, cultural and political history of Palestine on the land of Israel at the turn of the 20th century. Um, and he's dealt extensively with the uh, issues of uh, Sephardi and Arab Jewish thought, uh, which lie really at the heart of his research and his, if, in, in, of his teaching, I'm sorry. Uh, Yuval's current research traces uh, multilingual uh, translations and cultural models that emerged in the beginning of the 20th century uh, Palestine or land of Israel and explores how the fluidity inherent in these uh, cultural models becomes a source of resistance to the dominant monolingual forces, a method that we've discussed uh, quite extensively in this uh, similar series. And uh, to any exclusive claims of ownership of land, text, traditions, or languages. And the occasion for the seminar today is the publications of publication of Yuval's new Hebrew book, uh, The Return to Andalus, Disputes over Sephardi Culture and Identity Between Arabic and Hebrew, which was published uh, earlier this year by Magnus Press, the Hebrew University's, uh, Hebrew University's Press. And I should also say that this is an in, uh, well, a wonderful occasion to also, also celebrate, in a sense, uh, farewell to Yuval, who is uh, uh, leaving us soon to the land of post-Trump uh, to take the Marash and uh, Okun chair in Ottoman, Mizrahi and Sephardi Jewish studies at uh, Brandeis University. Uh, so Yuval, Yuval, thank you uh, and welcome uh, to the seminar. Thank you, Yaakov. Thank you for this kind introduction and for the invitation. And thank you for you and Peter for that. Thank you. So uh, the format of the seminar today, and again, this is why I took over uh, from uh, from Peter. And thank you, Peter, for allowing us to do so, is that instead of uh, a lecture and a, you know one sided presentation of uh, the book, we thought it would be more intuitive and more maybe interesting with the flow of this format to have a discussion. Uh, not really a dialogue because I want to ask the questions and I hope uh, uh, Yuval will uh, uh, find them interesting to answer. Uh, but maybe this will give us a better understanding of, uh, of the project, which is of immense importance. So Yuval, uh, uh, let us start with this very... Uh, well, you know, let's just note that the book talks about Sephardiyut, which Hebrew allows us to inflict, to add the ness to Sephardiness in a sense. It, English doesn't really accept it, and there's something interesting going on with identifying Sephardiyut as a phenomena. The book suggests that we return to uh, to the discussion, the historical discussion or debate over Sephardiyut or Sephardiness, uh, let's call it the history, the, the tradition that is identified under uh, Sephardiness, and, um, and also maybe to begin with it, a re-examination of the Israeli present, or maybe widen than that, the Jewish uh, global present. You do so by uh, retracing, in a sense, uh, a political thought, historical, cultural interventions, by, by a fascinating list of intellectuals. I thought maybe, if you allow me this, I'm taking too much with one question, just to mention the names. I think this is uh, uh, somewhat like uh, Sami Shalom Shetrit's poem, where you know narrating the name is the action, the act. Um, but just to mention the names because they're not they're not often heard, and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable mentioning all of them time and again. Um, among those you study, and I'm reading from uh, the book itself, um, we can count Avraham Shalom Yehuda, Shaul Abdallah Yosef, David Yalin, Yosef Meuhas. Shimon Moyal, Esther Moyal Azhari, Yosef David Maman, 
ניסים מלול, חיים בן עטר, אברהם אלמליח, יוסף אליהו שלוש, דוד אביסר, אליהו אלישר, יהודה בורלה, יצחק עבאדי וחיים בן קיקי. Each one of them, uh, an intellectual giant who unfortunately kind of, you know, most of them missing or missing either from the discourse at, at large or missing from the Sephardi discourse, such as the case of David Yalin. Um, so let us start and let me finally ask the question by really trying to figure out what this, this term means. What is Sephardi youth? What is Sephardiness? How do you understand it? And How did these intellectuals uh, whom you follow uh, understood it? Uh, okay, uh, thank you very much, Yaakov. Uh, uh, and I want to start with saying that I'm really happy that we're doing this format of discussion because um, during my writing this book, I had lots of discussion with you and I learned a lot from it. And uh, in a way, it's continuation of these discussions. Uh, uh, so in a way that the initial, the initial interest in, in what we could You said Sephardiyut, Sephardiness, was part of a research uh, um, journey into the long, what we call the long Sephardi Mizrahi history, a quest into a Mizrahi history beyond the boundaries of the national state. And from the beginning, it sparked a set of questions. Uh, how can we write Sephardi Mizrahi history in a post-partitioned era? Uh, how can we reimagine uh, its historical geographical scope after more than a, uh, a century of physical, social, cultural, and political displacements, marginalization, and negation. By uh, post-partition, I refer not only to the partition of Palestine in, in 1948, but also this, to the separations of disciplines, uh, traditions, histories, and languages, uh, the, the separation of Hebrew and Arabic, uh, of uh, Hebrew literature and Arabic literature, of uh, Judaism and Islam, uh, Zionism and Arab nationalism, uh, Jewishness and Arabness, and the separation of Al-Andalus and, and Sfarad. Uh, so it is not surprising that in the post-partition environment, in this post-partition environment, boundaries become such a cool, uh, crucial issue uh, in the research of modern Sephardic uh, Arab Jewish history. Uh, the boundary, uh, boundary lines uh, in terms of language, temporality, and space place uh, are uh, far from being clear. Uh, what, for instance, is the linguistic scope? Uh, what, the what is the, the language that we need to research Sephardiness or modern Sephardic uh, 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 history? Is it uh, literary Arabic? Is it Hebrew, uh, Judeo-Arabic, Ladino, Spanish, uh, French, or, or English? Uh, should we uh, discuss it or research it as a division of a larger Jewish history, or should it be considered as part of Hebrew, Arabic, Middle Eastern, Spanish, or post-colonial historical framework? Uh, in addition to that, we have the question of naming, and that's a, a critical question, and it's it's going back to, to, to what you started with, the, what, what is Sephardiyot, what's Sephardiness? So which term should we use to define the collective Uh, entity or identity which lies at the center of, of this research field. Is it uh, Sephardi Jews? Is it Arab Jews? Mizrahim? Ottoman Jews? Or maybe Middle Eastern Jews? What kind of historical, lingual, geographical, and political sets of issues are encoded in each term? Uh, in fact, there is no one name or term that can fully represent this uh, uh, unified entity. And in my book, I try to trace uh, the formation of the different names and, and terms. So from early stages of my research, I understood that uh, we, meaning me and other scholars of Sephardic uh, history, already navigating in a narrow and limited scope, uh, adapting into the post-partition fragmented academic landscape and political reality. Uh, I also understood the, the, the need for adapting uh, uh, to adapting new methods or new historical frameworks, which uh, recognized by, by also go beyond current geographical, historical and disciplinary boundaries, uh, and in a way to, to explore Sephardi, Arab Jewish, Mizrahi history in its fullness and complexity. So the, the first thing I decided to do is to, to shift the focus to the pre-partitioned era and to explore the partitioning process itself. 
uh, by shifting the focus to those fo formative moments of transition, uh, such as the turn of the 20th century that is in the center of my book, we can identify cultural and political visions that emerge at the time, but were negated, marginalized, and forgotten. It also enables us to trace episodes of resistance, uh, disruption, and dispute that appears during these crucial moments, but vanished from their official historical narrative. So, the turn of the 20th century Palestine is a, is a formative period in, the, in modern Jewish history and in the history of, of Israel-Palestine. It is a period of shifting uh, imperial orders uh, and time of emerging national movement. It is also the zero moment uh, of, of the Israeli-Palestinian national conflict. So against the background of this dramatic political and social events uh, of the period, the, the book explores the way in which Sephardi intellectuals fundamental, fundamentally challenged the, the nationalistic and monolingual uh, separatist ideologies uh, that was dominant in their time and proposed an alternative political and cultural route. So you have uh, intellectuals, the, uh, the names that, that you mentioned, like Yehuda and El-Maliach, El-Maliach, Yosef Miuchas and others, were part of, uh, most of them born in the second uh, part of the 19th century, most of them in Palestine, not all of them, uh, were part of the growing circles of Sephardi local scholars and were engaged in different intellectual and uh, activities such as translation, literary interpretation, journalism, philology, uh, and education. Uh, they wrote extensively on the Andalusian thinkers and poets such as uh, Maimonides, Yudha Levi, uh, Moses Ibn Ezra, and Ibn Pakudeh, focusing on their intimate connection uh, to Arabic philosophy and poetry. Uh, and those historical figures represented uh, for them an ideal type, you can say, for Jewish modernization, a model of Hebrew-Arabic uh, uh, um, symbiosis of, of Hebrew and Jewish cultural revival in conversation and connection with Arabic language and Islamic thought. In this context, uh, they view their historical moment as a kind of Andalusian moment. So here again, Sephardin is coming back. Sephardinus as a moment, as an idea, as a, as a model. It was a moment of reunion of Jews and Muslims, Arabs and Hebrews, in a shared homeland, here now Palestine, as it was in Al-Andalus uh, before the expulsion of Jews and Muslims from the land. As in Al-Andalus, this moment offered opportunities for establishing uh, a joint Hebrew and Arabic culture, a moment of new encounters and promises of shared uh, um, culture, uh, and, uh, and uh, a shared future based on revival of the great Judeo-Arabic Andalusian heritage. So these uh, intellectuals, again, born in the second part of the 19th century, were, were active members in both Hebrew and Arabic revival movements at, at the time, the Ascala and the Nahda that arised in, in the same moment. Uh, during the late uh, Ottoman era, uh, they operated within a range of conflicting political and ideological affinities of the time. Uh, they were committed to the emerging national Jewish project, Zionism. They, they considered themselves as Zionists in, in that time. We'll talk maybe later what it means. Uh, they, identify, they identified with the uh, Ottoman political reformation, Tanzimat, and with the ethos of the shared Ottoman homeland that rised in, in, in that time, in that moment. And they emphasized their affiliation with the Arab revival movement, with the Nahda, and the joint historical legacy and Judeo-Muslim and Judeo-Arabic culture. This kind of affiliation, multiple affiliation, multiple uh, loyalties, maybe can see today as contradictory. For them in that moment, it's something that was even uh, complementary, uh, helped to, to establish, to revive Hebrew, the thought that's gone together with revival of Arabic and so on. So far, we can talk about it maybe later in our conversation. In a way, their work developed in relation and as a reaction to the emergence of Hebrew and Arabic national cultural movement that, that, that arises as a mono, monolingual uh, uh, and nationalistic movement. Uh, and they, 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 among themselves and with the European Jewish counterparts, the Ashkenazi, they discussed and debated how, the research, uh, uh, how to research cultural heritage of Al-Andalus, the Sephardi, Legacy, the Shirat Sfarad, the poetry of Spain, and how, is it only Hebrew um, legacy? Is it uh, have to be Arabic Hebrew? 
a, bil a bilingual uh, legacy? Is it Eastern legacy? Is it a Western legacy? But in addition, they, they debated how the modern Jewish cultural and national project in Palestine, Zionism, should relate uh, to the Arabic language, the, the language of the land, for, in their perspective, or the language of their own language is Jewish, is, is a Jewish language, uh, to the Palestinian Arab natives and to the Ottoman state. So in a way, the book, by exploring these debates and this uh, contested representation of Andalusian identity and culture, uh, we examine uh, some fundamental issues that emerged in the turn of the 20th century, and we still continue with us until today, uh, the, the national conflict between Jews and Palestinians, the contacts and splits between Hebrew and Arabic cultures, and the ethnic power relations between Ashkenazim and Mizrahi. Yeah. Thank you. As uh, this, uh, you know, rather short introduction uh, suggests, there's so much uh, uh, in this book, and there's so much to discuss that we, you know, couldn't possibly cover all. But uh, to maybe focus this on the theme of uh, of the seminar series, you know, we we call it uh, reconsidering, or the, uh, the, the, yeah, we, we phrase the whole uh, uh, seminar is reconsidering uh, early Jewish nationalism or modern Jewish nationalism, and this is where. Um, your contribution is so important. Until now, all of our discussions were European, not only in well, geographical and historical terms, but also in conceptual and epistemological terms. It was a thinking of Jewish nationalism within um, uh, 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 the European history and the European conceptual toolkit, in a sense. And the reference points have always been towards other European cases. And this brings me to the question I want to actually, uh, I would like you again to expand on. So as you already suggested, a main theme of, of your whole uh, investigation is how this uh, rather diverse group of writers and different opinions all address Al-Andalus, Southern Spain, this historical medieval moment as a role model, as a, as something that could maybe inspire, yeah, rejuvenation or, or rethinking of uh, of the present, and and they don't do this in vacuum because they have counterparts also from the Palestinian side, from the Arab world, who do the same, also from obviously the European side. Uh, so maybe let's start with this issue. What does Al-Andalus mean to this uh, uh, diverse group of people? What is in uh, uh, this uh, um, model that is so promising? And also, let me just, you know, to, to ask the question, how does it correspond with competing models specifically? I think you mentioned it already in your introduction that what, what we have here in play is an alternative to this rising notion of Jewish nationalism as Zionism, but also as the Bund and other uh, group have done. So once you tell us what Al-Andalus is, can you also explain what what alternative that is hold regarding uh, that kind of nationalism? Uh, yeah, I think it's you. You touching the. I think the the essence of the book, in in a way, is 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 um, is to trace Al-Andalus or Sefarad or all the names of you know, the Iberian uh, uh, heritage or or, or Shirat Sefarad and and the, the identity of of, of Sephardic uh, Jewish identity. As a moment that arised in the 19th century in different naming and different uh, representations, so these uh, intellectuals are seen that the, in 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 the creation of Jewish studies that really established in the end of the 19th century, early 20th century Jewish history, uh, the, the 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 Hebrew literature and the study of Hebrew literature uh, that arised in 19th century mainly in European uh, circles, Moschilic. Um, uh, Jewish uh, circles, and then in the, the Triad, the Jewish uh, Askala, Hebrew Askala circles, Sephardic, uh, uh, the Sephardic tradition of, of, uh, of, of medieval time becoming very important point of reference. So people from Mendelssohn onwards see Ashkenazi uh, Maskilim, see Sephardic as a point of reference to sh as a model for, for modernization of Jewish culture. As a model for them, as a, as of a European culture in a way, a Jewish European culture or Jewish great culture, aside of another, you know, Jewish uh, uh, flourishing culture or Hebrew flourishing culture that arise inside of a big culture, same as happening in Europe. In a way, they they emphasize this aspect, 
and in the Hebrew Ascala, they, they uh, emphasize aspects of Hebrew and nationalization of, or homogenization of nationalization, and they see themselves as heirs of, of this culture. In the same time, they uh, uh, they uh, separate this this uh, uh, this legacy from the Sephardi communities that they meet in Palestine and in the Ottoman Empire. They, they see them in a way the opposite. They are not the heirs of this legacy. If the Sephardi legacy of medieval is is uh, is rational, is uh, is uh, is Western, is 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 one of the golden ages of the, the golden points of Jewish history. The Sephardi Jews in, in Ottoman Empire are the, becoming the representative of, of Easterners, of backwards uh, culture, of uh, the, the opposite of, of what happened to them. And uh, the, this kind of the, the intellectuals that are in the center of this uh, of this uh, book and, and Yehuda and others are scholars of of some of them even have a German scholarship in that sense, and they see this movement and they are disputing against it. Uh, first of all, they dispute against the negation of Arabic aspect into the Sephardic legacy of medieval time. They say you can learn Yehuda Halevi or Moses Ibn Ezra or, or Rambam or other great thinkers and writers of, of medieval Spain without knowing Arabic, not knowing Arabic to understand the, the, the great influence of Arabic into this writing. And for them, it's a, it's a legacy of, of, of bilingual uh, uh, and coexistence of Judeo-Muslim that you can't you can learn it uh, without one and another, and then they see that the the trend will be that the, the separation until we can see until today that you can study Hebrew uh, Hebrew literature and uh, or Yuda Levi in the university without knowing Arabic uh, or research them. So it's it's that's the trend that they they wanted to stop, and they saw the same trend happening in uh, how they the, the separation between Sephardi modern Sephardi cultural and identity with the, this legacy and the, they were against it and they saw it in the same way. And for them, it was the same thing of what happened with the settlers, uh, first settlers Zionists that come into Palestine and not learning Arabic, the language of the land. For them, it's the same process exactly. If you want to revive Hebrew and they were the, the first in the first committee of Ben Yehuda, was the, one of the first people that revived Hebrew, but they saw it as a joint Exactly what happened in Al-Andalus. Again, Al-Andalus is coming back as a joint project of Hebrew and Arabic revivalism. So it's it's for them it's exactly the same logic that the European scholars are negating Arabic in the research of Sefarad, Shirat Sefarad, the Sephardic legacy of medieval time, and the ones that come into Palestine and don't learn Arabic as the language of the land and, and as a Jewish language because it was the language of Rambam and the language of Yehuda Levi and others uh, really important scholars. Yeah. So, well, let me. So, I think there are very crudely we could separate two interesting elements within this Al-Andalus uh, or Al-Andalus uh, um, role model. There's a cultural one, which, as you note, could be appropriated by uh, non-Sephardim. Not just in the sense of you know not belonging to a Sephardi tradition, but almost to a point of uh, you know Orientalism, the uh, the objects that have carried Sephardi youth, and then recruit it within a different understanding of Jewish modernity altogether. And then there's a political reading of it, and this is I think what I would ask you to focus on for a second. What what political horizons would uh, would Al Andalusian uh, role model offer these uh, these thinkers? Just to, to to clarify the point, when when we discuss a turn of the century national thinking in Europe, it's clear that the nation state is the horizon. On the other hand, Al Andalus, the, the one thing we can say about Al Andalus in terms of Jewish history is that there wasn't Jewish sovereignty, there wasn't Jewish self rule. Uh, there was Jewish politics. Some some Jews took um, famously uh, Hasda ibn Shafrut was a, a you know a military man and a and a, and a diplomat, but um, it couldn't possibly, I would say naively, be understood as a model for modern Jewish nation statism. So, what is the political uh, horizon or promise there? Yes. Uh, 
I, I will take it as, as two questions. Um, the first question is why Al-Andalus is very important, not only because the discussion with the European Jewish Ascala, I think in the same time they see that in the Nahada, in the revival of the Arabic and Arabic nationalism, Al-Andalus is a point of reference as well for the Arab, uh, um, uh, Arab scholars of the time, and they saw themselves as part, some of them were really part of this circle, some of them only saw it from afar, but very in affiliation. So people like uh, Esther Moyal and Shimon Moyal and Nesim Alul were actively in this circles of, of Nahada. In the same time, they were actively in the circles of Ascala and Hebrew revivalism. So they see that the Arab nationalism, the local nationalism of the place, is going back as well to Al-Andalus. So this is a point of reference if we want to build a shared society. So it's a point of reference that we can speak to the Arab living with us, that this is going to be the base of our living together. The second point of reference that is usually missed in, and now there is a return to it, and I'm happy about it, and I think it's very important, is the Ottoman context. Usually we talk about the the the, the, the Palestinian Jewish uh, conflict, and the zero point is the British, and, and we avoid the Ottoman. And the Ottoman, I think, is very important context, and it's bringing different kind of logics, and it's a political logic so that happened there. And the, the logic that the Ottoman developed or, or, or developed in the, in the Ottoman Empire in the end of the 19th century is a logic of multiple realities. Uh, or that people can be affiliated as Armenians and as Ottoman and uh, as, I don't know, living in Saloniki and, uh, and Istanbul in other parts of, of the Ottoman Empire. And the same uh, was, was uh, uh, right for the people that live under the Arab uh, province of the Ottoman Empire. So you can be Arab national or Arab Nahada movement and an Ottoman national in the same time. Uh, and it's the same uh, for this uh, Ottoman Jews, um, uh, native Jews that were again very part of this kind of nationalization of the Ottoman Empire and, and the, the building of the shared uh, Ottoman uh, uh, um, uh, nation that they saw that they, the project of, of the Zionist project, of the project of the Ascala of Hebrew and the revival of Hebrew culture going together with the project of Ottomanization and the project of Arab, uh, 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 um, the Arab Nahada. So this kind of multiple that, you know, you can see it very strongly in their debates because uh, they understand it and the settlers, the second Aliyah people that come and resist uh, their their suggestion to open a newspaper for Jew Jewish newspapers in Arabic and etc. Uh, don't understand this logic, and they're going back again. And you know, the logic of the Ottoman Empire is different. It's not competing uh, loyalties. Is the loyalties that are coming together, and and, and we can walk. And as of course, it's going back. If we'll talk later about uh, about language, it's not a monolingual. It's a multilingual, and languages can operate together. So this is the if you going back this this is the moment uh, the, that's the the uh, the political uh, the political horizon that they're working out of. Mm -hmm. It will be interesting to see, and the book is going to, into the transition from the Ottoman Empire to the British mandate. And for me, I, I think that that's it's, it's a critical moment for Sephardi to understand what Sephardi is and what's the Sephardi intellectual happened to them and from an Ottoman uh, uh, imperial uh, 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 subjects that gone back to. Uh, to a, 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 a under British, but very into the national concept of ethnic group. So from an Ottoman, uh, and, and of course the, the, the big transition is between the logic of multiple loyalties to the logic that the British bring is the, the, the logic of partition, of yeah. contested uh, loyalties. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let, let us press this po uh, point for a second, because I think it's, uh, it, it's critical to understand the potentiality of the moment, in, in a sense, and how it is lost. You, you know, we, now non-binary became a, a catchword for, you know, um, for enlightened gender understanding. But this is an interesting take on modernity at the turn of the 20th century, where non-binary identity more widely understood, not just not necessarily on terms of gender, but on terms of ethnicities and uh, and culture and 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 language and and also nationality. Uh, um, is presented as the the solution in a sense, or the, the so the question that would immediately uh, be interesting to uh, would be immediately interesting to ask first is 
how do they relate to emerging Arab nationalism? Do they see themselves as potentially part of an Arab nationalist movement? Again, it, it depends. It depends in which moment we ca we we, we go into them, uh, so, and to to which one out of them. Uh, but I think most of them, uh, some of them were really part of it. We're going to Estemoyal, definitely, uh, even more than Zionism and Hebrew nationalism. She was part of Arab Nahda. Uh, she saw itself as part of it, and and the reference was what we're going to do with the European influence on our our culture. Our culture is the Arab culture or the Ottoman culture. But the, there is European influence, the French coming the culture and what we're going to do, how we present our culture. And that's for her, it was the, the entrance for feminism as well. She's, a, she's an Arab feminist, one of the first Arab feminists. Uh, uh, so, so, so of course, for them, it's, 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 it's part of it. It's a discussion with the Arab nationalism that again, for, in that moment for them, it's they are closer culturally, politically, uh, in, 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 in the question of, of natives uh, uh, or, or, or homeland in, in a way that Ottoman, um, um, is, uh, you know, Ottoman um, uh, subject to this is starting is they are closer than the European Jews that coming from outside. So what they want to do is to, to convince the European Jews that coming from outside not to be settlers and act as, as colonialists coming from outside and to integrate as Ottomans uh, to yeah. be part of this kind of logic. Yeah. So this is really the the crux of the of of the historical moment. You have an empire in the shape of these multiple identities, multiple modernities, almost uh, um, uh, reformed Ottoman Empire being replaced by the British Empire, and you have the partition mindset, as you describe. You have uh, the British bringing with the Zionist project to Palestine this notion that. Jew and Arab are mutually oppositional, and um, and you have a reality of Palestinian Jews who see the exact opposite as the horizon. So the question is, how do they react and how do they re relate to the Zionist movement in Palestine? I know, I, you know, having read the book, I know that they've. They, in a sense, uh, endlessly trying to tell the, the, their Zionist counterpart, listen to us. We understand something that you don't. How does it? How is it translated uh, politically? Yeah, I think it's 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 a it's very uh, interesting question, a very important question. Uh, I think again, in the end of the Ottoman Empire, they have a, a there there is a, a first debate between them uh, and the the second Aliyah establishment of the time uh, in a way they are uh, they are in the end of the Ottoman Empire they are talking from a position of majority people that are they are the subject of the Ottoman Empire uh, they are not uh, and they are the ones that hosting the new immigrants that come in most of them very young very poor they need a lot of support and the, the Sephardi intellectuals come from a very established family so they, and they and they offer a different kind of nationality uh, native nationality, uh, national, uh, Jewish nationality that is connected to the to the places uh, and so on and so forth. I think that the, the, the crucial moment for understanding what happened then and I think to understand what happened with Mizrahim in Israel today is the transition from Ottoman Empire and uh, and to the mandatory. I think the powerful declaration, uh, the, the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, so the, the, all the Sephardiness that is connected to a bigger Ottoman sphere, uh, Jewish and not Jewish is, is collapsing and it, it's, it's reducting their identity to a different kind of uh, uh, and uh, and the transition from there there used to be the representatives of the Jewish community in Palestine into the uh, you know imperial rule as Chachambashi and other institutions were there uh, they've been replaced by the the Zionist uh, most of them you know the, the Weizmann in the beginning Weizmann and the people in London, uh, and then uh, the, the institution in Palestine themselves uh, have been uh, uh, established, and they've been uh, marginalized and been aside in, in that in that sense. And they become, from being natives, they become people that we need to integrate. Uh, the, the, all the discussion is, is changing. But I think that the the most important moment, the, 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 again, the transition. Uh, is that they, first of all, some of them, most of them were very 
critical or critical uh, or uh, not uh, opposing uh, uh, out uh, completely, but critical about the Balfour Declaration. They didn't think about the the, the natives of the land, uh, the Jews and the and the, the Arabs. Uh, and and second, they they understood the mistake of of this kind of of, of uh, proposal that doesn't look at the, the 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 local Arab and going only to the British and to alliance with the, with the with the British mandate. And in that moment, the the logic of multiple they want to, they try to to continue the logic of multiple realities, but they, it, it's becoming really hard. First of all, the Ashkenazi Jews look at them as traitors or people that you can't really trust because they are very close to the Arabs. So you are against us or with us? Uh, are you giving uh, now the voice of the Arabs or you are part of us uh, in the coalition of building a Jewish home? The Palestinians, uh, that you know, some of them were their friends or going together into school or, or colleagues or uh, in, in, you know, uh, commerce uh, uh, partnerships. Uh, they uh, they were expecting them to be critical about Zionism like them and Balfour Declaration to declare that they are uh, they, they are natives like them and they are against this European power that coming from outside and controlled us and they even trying to appeal to them in the 1920 21 with with public uh, declaration that we understand you uh, the Sephardi uh, uh, you know the the native of the land you are part of us come to us, we want us to be together, let's try to work together against these, uh, you know, outsiders, the settlers that come in, uh, and they try to separate. We, 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 um, the, the Palestinian leaderships trying to say, we always been, we are not anti-Jews, we are always living together with our local Jews, with our Sephardic Jews, with our native Jews, but we are against this, uh, you know, settler movement that coming from outside, the Zionism, that is not Judaism, as we know it. Uh, so I think it's, 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 it's a critical moment in that sense. To understand and 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 that in the the question of ethnicity, it's a, it's another interesting moment. People that work in on, on ethnicity and Mizrahim and Ashkenazim power relation usually going back to 1948, 1950. I think it's interesting to see what happened in that moment when uh, uh, Sephardi identity is becoming part of an ethnic relation of Ashkenazim. It's reductive from the Ottoman context that was larger to uh, a, a non-Ashkenazi identity. And, uh, and their political, it's the beginning of, we can see the political uh, Sephardi, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, movements that try to claim for representative inside or to try to get more voices or more places or more jobs. So you can see it from the early 1920s, 30s, the same arguments that uh, we want to be part of the, the establishment, but the establishment reject us. And that's a, a moment of reductive into an ethnic identity. Yeah. I'm sorry, I have to digress here from the list of questions I have in my mind and just ask you this uh, outright. Did they understand at the time, this is, I mean, uh, I guess the, the early, uh, the, the first two decades of the 20th century, did they understand at the time that they are now being relegated in a sense to the dustbin of Jewish history because of the changing of uh, uh, this hegemony in the Jewish world? Yeah, so some of, the, some of them, uh, very interestingly, uh, uh, um, getting the getting in very quickly. So one of them is Chaim Ben Kiki, is a, is a figure that I'm discussing in this book and other discussing other places. It's fascinating, intellectual, born in Tiberias, a Sephardi intellectual, and he from the early 1920s uh, he published really critical uh, articles against not only the what happened with Balfour Declaration. And uh, what happened with the Sephardi Jews? He understand what happened to the the, the the Ottoman. What will happen in this transition from Ottoman to British uh, rule, and what it means to our identity of the of the area as a, as a, again as a native Ottoman that continue. Uh, so what will happen to to our space or place in the play in, in in what we call Palestine or in the in, when we are not connected to Arabic and we are not connected to the the, the, the Ottoman. Uh, uh, connection and to the Sephardi uh, heritage that's coming out uh, uh, a long time back, and and he, he, he you know in a way is is forming and is, is critical is critical also what's happening in modern Turkey that trying to uh, to uh, you know to um, negate in that time uh, the, the Islamic part of it and then changing the script and doing the same things that he see that happens in Palestine with the Jewish 
settler. So his his view is is really interesting. You see Abraham Shalom Yehuda have very interesting views in that time, uh, and that they understand it. And I think that one of the one of things that we need to understand, I learned a lot from from working on this group, is that usually we're talking about Sephardi or in our imagination in Jewish uh, Jewish studies that Sephardi are more local. They came to modernity late. Uh, they, are la they were very influenced from maybe French alliance come and change them, or they're, they're always reactive to things. Yeah. And I think what I learned here in this, in this, in, in, in my research, that this all the Sephardi intellectuals that I was working on were very global as well, very global, very imperial subjects. They understood the imperial uh, yeah. logics, and they knew how to work with different logics. Yeah. Uh, Abraham Shalom Yehuda was uh, in Spain for, and there he played a different kind of uh, imperial game, and he was part of the Ottoman and played different kind of imperial game. So he was an, a, a transnational subject, not only a local. They were have connection to local locality and, and local places, but they had movements uh, and transnational movements, and there was other kind of modernity in, in that sense. So I think it's very important to put it there. To, and, and, and this generation understood that their position is becoming reductive into a national ethnic question that they saw themselves much bigger than that. Yeah. So this is maybe uh, the right segue to move to what you already uh, hinted at and I think is probably one of the biggest uh, uh, themes of, of your work, but also of the discussion, specifically in the context of our seminar, the issue of multilingualism or polyglottism. Uh, all of your protagonists in this book are uh, polyglot. All of them are not just bilingual. They live in different spheres of languages from German to Arabic to Hebrew to, um, to Turkish and Judeo-Spanish and um, and whatever, whatever else was in the mixture. Uh, and they encounter exactly a, a, a global phenomena of uh, 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 unilingualism and a national motivation for erasure of these other languages. Um, so can you just explain to us how they understood the role of this uh, multilingualism in their, in their being in the world, in this, uh, you know, um, not necessarily empirical mindset, but as a global mindset, and, um, and and what is the um, the option they offer us in terms, you know, if we you know try to learn a lesson from this, in terms of creating not just a shared society but a multilingual society? Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a very important question. I think in 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 my research today, today I'm trying to I'm trying to, to delve into this kind of. Of, of the option that they offer, that I think mainly in their translation, unless uh, they deal with it in, in the book, but the, in the translation project, it's a, it's a fascinating project. But I think that the, I agree, you know, the, the end of the 19th century was the time of, of, uh, of expulsion, of, or uh, it, it was a possibility of learning languages. And for, and there the, the, they were raised in the time that they can learn new languages, maybe that people before them didn't learn French and German and uh, and Spanish and, and others, and they had the languages that they brought with them and, and expand the languages of Hebrew and Arabic that had revived in that time, modernized in the time, and the Ottoman Turkish and the, and the Ladino, uh, uh, and some of them even knew, uh, most of them even knew Yiddish, yeah, the, 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 the Jewish uh, uh, um, Ashkenazi languages. Um, and, and some of them were very fascinated in philology. So they, they were, in, in, in a way, they were the, in the creators of, of uh, standardization of languages, but they're very influenced from multiple la uh, languages. I will say, uh, uh, and now I'm talking from my perspective of my research today, I'm really interested in if, if this is the moment that of an invention of what is, uh, what is a mother tongue, what is a monolingualism. Because before that, I think for them, the, the differentiation between Arabic and Hebrew is separate languages, the, the, the boundary. When Arabic stops and when Hebrew starts or vice versa, it was not so clear as we understand it today. Uh, and for, uh, of course, Judeo-Arabic was, was part of it, of course, Arabic in, in, in Hebrew script. But not only that, you can see the influences between Arabic and Hebrew, the, the, the movement between Hebrew and Arabic. Uh, uh, in, in that time, and, and of course, Andalus going back 
uh, and and of course Ottoman words coming in and they in Ladino when talking about Ladino is not only of course Spanish they have Portuguese into it you have Ottoman you have the Arabic words so for them language is not uh, as we see it as a as a monolingual invention of something that is closed that uh, we, we we can uh, we can go out of it or we can bring something from outside something is foreign to it some of them so I think this is this kind of of understanding. Help them to understand better what what sovereignty can be a shared sovereignty. Like in language, you don't have the the borders can be more flexible. Flexible. Uh, you can share borders. You can share traditions. They're going back to traditions uh, that doesn't have a, a origin. Even the biblical stories that Yosef uh, Miuchas translate is and the biblical is becoming the you know the original. Who is the owner of the, the text and who is the uh, owner of the original? Uh, you know, tradition, he's going to the Palestinian oral history of the biblical text and translate it to a, a biblical Hebrew connect uh, with the lots of Arabic words into it. In, in, in a way, in a political move to dismantle this kind of separations. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to uh, Alf Lela Olela, to, to 1000 night uh, stories that, you know, it's, it, what's the origins of this kind of tradition? And they translated it's coming from, you know, Sanskrit to Persian to Arabic to uh, to, to Hebrew, to multiple other languages is, is something that happened. Oh, Kalila Udemna, they're going to this kind of traditions that doesn't have an origin. Uh, or to translation that doesn't have text into it. In a, again, I think in a way to, to resist this kind of uh, separation of languages, of traditions and that happened in that time. Yeah. So just as they uh, challenge money or unilingualism, they also challenge the how they say the uni modernity or the unified European narrative of modernity. Um, it took European scholars about another century to realize that modernities may be multiple and there are different ways of uh, uh, understanding modernities. But already again at the end of the 20th century, your protagonist all kind of uh, you know trying to reassert a sense of uh, this multiplicity of ways of being modern. They are as modern as any other player in the field, but they understand the possibilities differently. Um, and this has to do again with the fact that, uh, again, in the context of our seminar at least, it's the first time that we are considering a narrative of uh, Jewish culture, of, uh, uh, of Jewish history, of Jewish identity, of, and of Jewish nationalism that does not nourish necessarily only on European sources, although obviously it corresponds with them and with European notions of modernity. So, for example, as you just noted, it doesn't have to be an integrationist modernity in the sense that either you're in the state or you're out of the state. You can be both in and out and in different states at the same time. Um, can you say something a little bit about this, about the way they understood modernity? Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a, it's a very important point and, and, and I, I was fascinated with this kind of... I, I, I try to, you know, again, it's, most of the things came out of the sources themselves, uh, and and I was fascinating with with the with the the uh, modernity projects that are, Europe is not in the center. Again, if we going back to Jewish historiography, most most of the research on uh, Sephardi modernity or modernity in Arab uh, land or modernity of Mizrahi Jews are connected. From the European, there is influence from European uh, phenomena that starts in Europe and then come to to the other land, the other parts of Jewish uh, um, 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 culture in, um, outside of Europe through these kind of mechanisms. And here you can find different kind of modernities that Europe is not in the center. Uh, and in a way, it's even um, it's it's in a different mode of what we used to see as Jewish. Uh, modernity. One of the um, one of the fascinating models that I uh, recount in, in the book is the, the one of the Baghdadi diaspora, the creation of the Baghdadi diaspora in the 19th century in uh, Bombay, uh, uh, um, uh, um, India, and what today China uh, of of merchants that go in from the ninth, uh, middle of the 19th century onwards, you know, to, from from Baghdad and and, and uh, Iraq of today. To these kind of centers and doing a modernization project that they have the cultural aspect to it because they have, uh, they have journalism and they have language and they have uh, a, a, the set of questions of what's to be a modern even halachic questions and and so on and so forth that is going back going uh, physically and symbolically eastward 
Yeah, and going back to Judeo-Arabic text, because uh, all the in the beginning, the first, second generation of this kind of companies, the Sassoon family company and, and Kaduri and others, they all their writings was in Judeo-Arabic. All their bureaucracy was in Judeo-Arabic. So they even taught Judeo-Arabic to people as a modern language. And they, they had a, a, a translation project of translating modern uh, novels into Judeo-Arabic and the publishing house that was disseminating and they and they sponsored a lot of modernization of schools in Iraq and other places. So this is an interesting modernization project that the Jews are going going physically eastward and going back to Judeo-Arabic, not to European culture, and it's a modern modernization. Yes, I, I agree with you that it's never only that. Uh, if you're going to Shaul Abdallah herself, it's one of the protagonists and he did this journey and he was writing in Hong Kong, he was very connected to the British, of course, empire. He was a British uh, subject. He was uh, had a real. He had a, 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 a you know. Um, he, he was a trader in Hong Kong and spot. So he, he worked in different kind of imperial logic, but he had the logic as well of modernization going eastward and going back to Arabic. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't realize how fast time time runs with so much uh, interesting uh, topic to discuss. I, I have just one more question, and then I want to open this for uh, questions from the audience. We already have a couple, but uh, just uh, your people, please write down uh, the questions, and we'll uh, whatever you have uh, uh, to ask uh, Yuval, and I'll read this, and then Yuval will answer. But the question I want to uh, to to maybe conclude this part of the of the seminar, Yuval, is to to press the fast forward and ask what does this history tell us about the present um so uh, first of all maybe still historically or still by way of narrating a history what happened to this array of viewpoints these different takes on jewish identity and history what happened to them in israel are there any heirs to them is there anyone else anyone contemporary um well, Sephardi intellectual, you would identify as maybe carrying on this uh, tradition or this voice. Uh, did they fail? Did they fall victim to Zionist uh, nationalism? And um, what? And you know, looking forward, what models may they offer for a rethinking of yeah the Israeli contemporary situation? Yeah, it's it's a question that I'm really dealing with it a lot, and um, I, I'm dealing with it in the the epilogue with the concluding uh, chapter. Yeah. And I'm, I I was afraid to be in, in to get into the trap of the missed opportunity paradigm, meaning there was a opportunity back then it was missed, Lost. and this kind of opportunity diminished, uh, demised. It's not there anymore, uh, it's not relevant anymore, we can't really, we can reflect on it in the past, we can look at it as an object of the past, but doesn't have any, um, doesn't have any connection to what we have in the, in the present or in the future of, of Israel-Palestine. Yeah. But I think that uh, uh, looking in it, in, in, first of all, you can see, of course, that the, the tragic of what we saw, the, the partition of languages between Hebrew and Arabic and the partitions of Jewish and Arab as even as an identity, the Arab Jews is something that we can see in Israel today. Yeah, most of the um, Mizrahi Jews today won't consider themselves as Arabs, uh, even though their uh, you know parents and grandparents were Arabs and part of the Arab society. Most of them won't be able to speak Arabic or to or to read Arabic. There is a great uh, survey that uh, Yoni Mendel and Professor Dashin have did about the knowledge of Israelis, Jewish Israelis of Arabic, and you see that even Ashkenazi. In my generation, no Ashkenazi. Some of them, because of intelligence, know a little bit more Arabic than a third generation of of Arab Jews. So the 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 the, the negation of Arabic is is very strong, and the, the negation of Arab identity is there. But in the same time, you can see traces of this kind of possibilities coming along the way all the time. The, the traces is there. So in in a way, there is continuities of 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 logics of. If, either in the political side of it, see scholars and thinkers that are going back to this kind of identities and 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 logic and models today uh, in Israel, but you can see it in very strongly in music. 
and the piyut and, 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 and the popular music in Israel. You have the third generation of Arab Jews going back to Yemen music, Yemenite music like Ravid Kahlani and uh, Awa and uh, the Iraqi music like uh, Dudu Tassa and Moroccan music like uh, Neta El Kayam and you have Zif Cheskel that are and you have the Andalusian, uh, Andalusian um, musical uh, traditions uh, and, and, and the orchestra. So you can see it in the music. That there is a places that you can still see the continuation. And even if you go into Jerusalem to a synagogue, a Sephardi synagogue in Jerusalem today, where I used to live in Achlaot, uh, you will still hear the Arabic, you know, the popular Arabic Egyptian music into the prayer. Uh, it's still there, the Arabic, even though the, maybe most of the, prayer, uh, the people that pray there are uh, are, you know, uh, BB supporters or right-wing supporters of Shah supporters, but they still Arabic is very uh, yeah. present there, and you still see the Arab Jewish tradition very present in, the, in that sphere. Uh, so this kind of continuation and traces is really interesting to go and and uh, rethink about them in in light of this long history. That, uh, Well, I, I, you know, I, I don't think anyone can doubt this, but I would still, just as a note, not as even as a question, I would still raise the issue of, uh, is this, how would I call it, uh, uh, popularization or folklorization of Sephardiyut, in effect, it's apoliticization. So it's, it's you know, it's a neutering of its uh, political potential, which is, um, yeah, I think, uh, the less optimistic view of uh, of the situation. Now, uh, again, please uh, write down your questions. We have a couple of questions, and um, I'll just uh, well, the one is from uh, Matteo, who's asking uh, Yuval. Uh, first of all, congrats on the Brenda's chair. Is there an English translation of the book in the works? Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Um, uh, first of all, thank you for the congrats congratulations, and yes, uh, yes, the, the, it's it's in the beginning of this process, but uh, inshallah, it's it's going to be out in English. Wonderful. Uh, Marcus is asking uh, um, regarding uh, your figure, your protagonists, your Sephardi Arab Jewish figures, were they discussing, uh, uh, I'm sorry, were they ever entered into a dialogue with Martin Buber related with his activities in Brit Shalom and or the Ehud? Yeah, it's, it's, it, this is really interesting uh, subject. Uh, the one that wrote about it already in the 40s, I wrote a great article about it. In, there used to be a, a newspaper called Heda Mizrach. The one that wrote about it, interestingly, is Yosef Yor Rivlin, the, the father of the current president of Israel, that was in a way raised, is Ashkenazi native, but raised under Yehuda. He was married to Yehuda's uh, daughter, his first wife. was, uh, And he was, uh, you know, a student of uh, Itzhak Yehuda, uh, one of my uh, protagonists. And he tried to claim that the that the, 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 there is a differentiation between the people that coming from outside, the European that coming from outside, from I don't know uh, Habsburgic uh, notion of what's what's living together, and the, the natives' uh, uh, Jewish perspective that have a different kind of uh, of uh, of uh, of, uh, of uh, vision of living together. That is not the same exactly, and and he tried to do the differentiation. But I would say that, of course, Ehud in particular was in touch with, uh, and Kedma and Mizracha was in touch with Sephardi intellectuals. Some of them were in, in part of it, uh, like Eliashar in the beginning and then left, and Yehuda, Yitzhak Yehuda came to some of the, the meetings. So there was, of course, connection between the two. I think it, it will be interesting to see what's the differentiation between a native perspective of this co coexistence or shared life and, uh, and, 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 uh, and and a model that comes from a little bit from outside, from a European perspective, in, in a way. But uh, but th that's an interesting. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we don't have more questions on the question and answer, and just by way of uh, allowing people uh, more chance, I have one more question, which is actually outside of the of the premise of the book, but uh, would be interesting also to note. Um, can you say something about uh, contemporary Arab? Uh, uh, appropriation or discussion with these writers, with these Judeo-Arab writers or these, you know, Sephardi writers of yours? Yeah, I would say something about how they've been used. Now there is there is a return to this kind of, of thinkers, but it's interesting. In the Zionist uh, uh, sphere, so there is now, there was the very important work by Yitzhak Betzalel 
that he said that the title was we were also Zionists. So he went to this group to, to, to show that the Sephardi were the first Zionists. So he took it to a different kind of, uh, of realm. And there is others that going back, they will say here, we can see the first, you know, revivals of Hebrew. We have, uh, we don't talk about that. So let's do the same framework of Zionist historiography that we have, but let's find missed voices and put them together, but we don't change or reorganize the, the, the setting itself. Yeah. And there is a very interesting uh, return to these thinkers inside an Arab intellectual uh, uh, world. Salim Tamari wrote beautifully about its Shami and his work as part of Palestinian uh, history. I know that historians uh, are working with it, Palestinian historians and Arab historians are working with this kind of texts uh, uh, on the contribution of Nada, of Moyal uh, Esther Moyal was, was written in this kind of framework. So there is, we tend to them as part of Arab revivalism or part of uh, Palestinian history uh, as natives of the land. Uh, so this is in another interesting. Uh, and of course, there is the Mizrahi aspect of trying to um, return to uh, early voices of Mizrahi uh, uh, resistance uh, or Mizrahi uh, uh, voice or Mizrahi culture. And that's, I think all of them have, uh, it's interesting, you know, it's, it's, it's important, but all of them have the, um, the danger of anachronistic uh, way to look at them, because I think most of the categories, that's why I, I, I meant in the beginning of my talk when I spoke about the post-partition environment that we are in uh, uh, academically and politically, that it's always going, it can be, we don't understand the categories that we use today doesn't really apply to the categories uh, uh, they, they use, even the, the, you know, Zionist or not Zionist, uh, uh, secular or religious or Eastern and Western, all these kind of uh, Arabic or Jew, you know, all these kind of categories that are essential in our discussion today is not really applying fully to them. Yeah. So uh, the last question we'll take is actually from uh, our co-convener, Peter Bergamin. Peter, would you allow me to show you so you can ask the question yourself? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm unmuted now. So Yuval, thanks and sorry for showing up late. Um, thank you can blame Microsoft and technology, uh, which seems to be following me around like, a, like the Grim Reaper at the moment. Anyway. Um, you mentioned very quickly the, the Habsburg Empire, and I was thinking through the whole part of your talk that I heard <laughs> that there is certainly a parallel between this Habsburg and Ottoman concepts of multiple realities. And there's certainly two, they're coming from different opposite sides, say, of this, uh, but going together and in, in, you know, meeting in the middle somewhere. And I thought maybe you could just say a little bit more about this because it struck me as something very, very interesting that never occurred to me before. Yeah, that's really, really interesting point. And I think there is an interesting work now on uh, Dmitry Shomsky, if you know, and, and uh, Hanna Kharif just did a great book about, uh, and, 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 uh, and Aviram Tzoref on and Rabbi Benjamin and others that, that they're trying to understand the, uh, the Habsburg, uh, you know, multilingual, multinational uh, empire as, as, a, as a model for Jews that came uh, the, the, to, to Palestine, European Jews that had a different kind of, of uh, uh, you know, of a political model or created a different kind of like Martin Buber and and, and uh, Hugo Bergman and uh, and Rabbi Benjamin and others, uh, and they trace back into the Habsburg uh, uh, connection. I think it it would be really interesting to see how some of them understood that the Ottoman Empire is the same logic. I think Rabbi Benjamin, if you go in, Rabbi Benjamin was the one that understood it better, and he even wanted to become a Sephardi in his identity in the end of the Ottoman Empire. He was writing in Sephardic uh, newspapers. He, he understood that the part of being a native, it's, it's, it's that conversion or change. Uh, and and the, he saw public parallels. I'm not sure that the others saw it uh, in the same way. I think that we as historians, it will be really, really interesting to compare the, the two and to put it in conversation. Uh, these models and, and, and in a way, you know, uh, all the transition from empire to nation state it's something that we need to put in question, how uh, nation state are continuing uh, empire logic uh, and, and vice versa, and how in the uh, empire setting there is a national uh, uh, logic. And I think the, the Habsburg and, and, and the Ottoman are two that less talked in the Zionist uh, Palestinian uh, setting, and I think they are very important in the yeah. discussion. 
And I was just going to say, kind of as an aside, and I was looking frantically through my documents while you were talking, but just this morning I was actually cataloging um, um, something from this archive I'm working on. And, that the, you know, I was looking at the, the 19th Zionist Congress from 1935. That's the first time that somebody appeals for a separate Sephardi department or for even some of the Sephardi to be even brought into the conversation. By the way, it was Paul Goodman, Martin's grandfather, uh, Yaakov. But and, and it's also interesting, I was noticing, too, that, that in fact, you know, 1935 takes place in Lucerne. There, we still, by this point, we have a very, very strong Hebrew cultural element to everything. But the, it, all of the reports are still published in German. I mean, and I think it not just because it took place in Switzerland, but I think this is somehow the rigueur with the Zionists. They continue to kind of think in German, and I find it absolutely, yeah, I was reading it this morning thinking this is absolutely crazy. But anyway, that's my final, my final comment, <laughs> a depressing one. <laughs> well, with what better way to end with a depressing note? Um, well, thank you, Yuval, for this fascinating talk. The book, again, is in Hebrew, Hashiva Le'Andalus. Available for Magnus Press also as an ebook if you just want to log in and um, and buy the book. Uh, and or and if you can't read Hebrew, wait for the English translation. Also follow Yuval's work wherever you can uh, find it. I'm sure uh, you'll find it uh, very interesting. Um, next week's Israel Studies Seminar is actually Peter's own lecture about how should I say it? Jewish terrorism and the end of the British Mandate. Um, do Come meet us uh, next uh, next week, and uh, thank you all, and thank you, Val. Good luck. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much.